Well, do turn with me to John 17. We are in the middle of Jesus' prayer for His people. John 17 is His high priestly prayer. Jesus, mere hours from the cross, is seeking the Father for those that He has called to Himself, praying for those who are His disciples, called out of darkness into light to belong to Him, called to be His own, preparing them for all the things that are just about to come. And I'm going to read from verse 9 down to verse 19, but we're only going to look at a couple of verses in the middle of this. So, if you're ready, read with me. Or listen as I read anyway. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, of course that's Judas, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And here's our text for this morning. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And now, Lord, would you open our minds and hearts, clear away the distracting noise that sometimes fills our brains, thinking about what's happening later or whatever else would keep us from hearing from you. Enable us by Your Spirit to hear what we need to hear, to have our hearts persuaded of the truth and beauty of what You have to show us so that we might believe and walk by faith in Christ. In His name we ask. Amen. So so do you ever feel out of step with His world? Like you just don't quite fit in? It's like the more you try to follow Christ, the more opposition you face from the forces around you, the more alien things seem. Well, that's not an illusion. That's not just something you think may be happening. And it is a reality that you and I must face if we're going to be faithful to Christ in this world. Because... Here's what's happening if you are indeed in Christ. Through the Gospel, Christ has rescued you from the sin and rebellion that once owned you. Amen? So we just were celebrating in the Lord's Supper. But now, as long as you continue to live in this world of sin and rebellion, there's, there's going to be this conflict between who you are in Christ now and what the world is in its rebellion. And it is that conflict that we need to begin looking at this morning as we continue this prayer of Christ 
for His people. Again, the cross is mere hours away at this point. Jesus is praying for His disciples whom He is leaving behind. And they, and by that I mean us as well, are going to have to face the hostility of this world in its rebellion against God if they are to continue faithful. And so let's look at that here this morning. Let's let's look at why that is and what it is that Christ has promised us to make sure that we are able to stand. And so the big idea I want to look at this morning, um, I kind of told Kyle this was a week where I thought I was going to preach these three points and we're only going to get the one point because it was just too much here. I didn't, and you didn't want me going two and a half hours. And so the big idea we're going to look at this morning is that Christ's saving word separates us from this world and its sin. It separates us out as it brings us to Him. And that idea of separation really runs throughout this part of the prayer of Christ. If you look down to verse 17, you notice Jesus says to the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And that word sanctify means to make holy. And at the very heart of this idea of holiness in Scripture is this reality of separation, of being set apart from one thing in order to be set apart for something else. And so it's this double movement, setting apart from the one in order to be set apart or dedicated to the other. That's holiness, that's sanctification, and it's a big deal in the life of of the Christian. Think about the Old Testament priesthood. Uh, The priest was set apart from the life of this world so that he could be dedicated to the service of God. Separation from the one in order to be dedicated to the other. In the same way, the Christian is called to be separated from the world in its rebellion and sin in order to be dedicated fully to God and His service in love. Romans 12, verse 2 says to us, don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As the Word comes in and has its effect and reorients your thinking and your loves and your passions, no longer conformed to this world in its rebellion, but transformed into the life of Christ. And so both this week and next week, we're going to think about what it means to be set apart in this way. This week, we're going to think about being set apart from the sin and rebellion of the world. And then next week, Lord willing, set apart for the service of God. So look at it again in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word, and as a result, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So kind of get this picture in your mind. What is it Christ has done for us here? He's, he's given us a gift. And it's a wonderful gift. It's a gift to be treasured. He has given us His Word. I'm talking about that Word of grace, the Gospel that has opened our eyes to our sin and brought us faith and new life in Him. We've seen it. We've, we've received it. And... Now, that Word is working to transform us. Um, This is the very definition of a Christian. We saw this last week, uh, or two weeks ago, in verse 8, you may remember. What is a Christian? How would you define a Christian? Jesus says, these are the ones I have given your words that you gave me, and they've received them, 
and they've come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So, so what defines a Christian? Someone who's received this gospel-saving word and come to faith in Christ. And so the Christian's life begins with the Word of God. Uh, we are a Word-centered people. Christ speaks through His Word to bring us to faith and new life. Romans 10, verse 17, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. That saving Word comes in and transforms us and gives us new life and renews our minds and centers us on Christ. And so, the first thing we see is that the Word of God is the agent God uses to save us from sin and to bring us new life in Christ. And it is that new life in Christ centered on God's Word that separates us from this world. In pulling us to Himself, He's pulled us away from the world. In saving us to belong to Him, He has cut the cord that made us belong to this world itself. Again, you can see that yourself. Verse 14, I've given them Your Word, and as a result, the world has hated them because they are not of the world any longer, just as I am not of the world. Since the world has hated them. Hated. Now that's, that's awfully strong language. But remember, that's a word we've heard before from Jesus. Back in John 15, verse 18 and 19, Jesus, preparing His disciples for what's coming, said, if the world hates you, implication, and it does, know that it hated Me before it hated you. It's not really about you. It's about the fact that you belong to Me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, it's just human nature. We love that which is our own, that which is like us, that which we perceive as belonging here with us. But we reject and even hate that which is alien and strange to us, especially if it feels like a threat. And to the world, Jesus feels like a threat. Why is that? I mean, what is it about Jesus that would make the world hate Him and hate His Word? I mean, He's the man of love. Why would they hate Him? Well, remember what it is that God's Word, spoken by the lips of Jesus, actually does. That Word that Jesus speaks is like a light shining in a dark place. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your Word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Uh, the first thing that, that has to happen before anyone can be saved is our eyes have to be open to our sin. We've got to begin to see reality as it really is. And so the, the light of truth has to be thrown into the darkness of our situation to wake us up to see, oh, I'm in trouble. Here's the situation. My sin is an affront to God. God offers salvation in Christ. I've got to repent of my sin and embrace Christ. That's what's got to happen. But of course, that's the last thing that a world committed to its sin and darkness wants to see happen. John 3, verse 19, shortly after saying, God so loved the world that He sent His Son into this world that whoever believes would be saved and not perish. Right after that, He says, But this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light 
Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. There's a reason the thief tends to come in the middle of the night, not in the middle of the day. Right? We hide our evil in the darkness and men's hearts love darkness. And so a world committed to darkness hates the light. And then Jesus shows up and He in Himself is pure light. He is the very embodiment of this holy, sin-destroying light. John 8.12, He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness any longer, but will have the light of life. And so you see the problem here. What happens if you are committed to remaining in the darkness and Jesus shines the light into that darkness? In fact, what happens if you are earnestly convinced that your darkness is in fact light? See, that's the nature of sin. This is what sin does. It blinds us. Sin by its nature turns our intuitions upside down. It convinces us that good is evil and evil is good. Isaiah warned about that in his prophecy. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. That's the upside down insanity of a world that is committed to holding fast to its sin. I mean, how else... How else can you explain the kind of moral insanity we see running rampant today other than that people's intuitions have been flipped upside down by our darkness? And really, it's a form of idolatry. The premier sin of our age is in fact the idolatry of personal autonomy. Right? Believing that I am my own true light. That the source of light is not outside of me. The source of light is found inside of me. Remember that word autonomy means self-rule. I make the rules. I decide my truth. That's a funny phrase. My truth is if I can have a private one. I get to choose whether I kill the child or let it live, whether I'll be a man or a woman, who I'll sleep with, how I'll use my money, how I'll treat others. I decide that. Not some God. Not some ancient book. And so because Jesus comes representing an authority higher than myself and greater than my feelings, His light exposes the lies I have believed and calls me to repentance. But if I'm committed to personal autonomy, if I I believe that, 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 that's, that's the most important thing, well then that becomes an affront to me. Jesus and His light become an affront. They become offensive And whether I call it hate or not, I resist. I hate. The call to Jesus to repent and believe the Gospel must either be received with joy, and you become a Christian and you follow Him, or rejected with animus, with hatred for Him being who He is and saying the kinds of things that He says. And so there's this innate hatred of Christ who who says, I am Lord. But now look what's happened also. If you're a Christian, if you're one who has indeed bowed your knee to Christ and received this light, Christ has now given you this same life-giving, sin-exposing Word. And that Word has come in like a light and it's changed you. It's, it's transforming the darkness that was in you and making it more and more like His light. So, that, so it's changing the way you think, what you love, how you live. 
And so now your life is being lit with the same word they hate. You're becoming more and more like the same Christ they reject. And the more you become like Him, the less you will be like them and the world will begin to perceive you as alien, as strange, as something not to be tolerated. Because you are. Right? Back in verse 11, he says that very thing. Um, that's not verse 11. What is it? That's verse 16. He says that same, that very thing. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so, so His grace has brought this change. It's, it's lit a light in you that cannot be hidden any more than a city on a hill can be hidden. And so the more you become like Christ, the greater the sense of separation, the greater the reality of alienation will be from the world around you. It's unavoidable. You understand that, right? That Christ marches to the beat of a different drum than the one this world marches to? And the more you march with Him, the more out of step you will be with them. That's where the hostility comes from. It's not from you. It can't be from you. Because you were called in Christ to love and serve the people around you. To give yourself in service to the people around you in Christ's name. To shine His light everywhere you possibly can. But the more you shine that light, the more out of step you will be with the darkness. And you see, that's where the pressure comes in for us. Because none of us like sticking out like a sore thumb. Am I right? But what is the nature of light in the darkness? It sticks out worse than a sore thumb. No, we want to fit in with the people around us. It's our natural desire. But you can't be like Christ and blend in with a Christ-denying world at the same time. You can't live by its values and pursue its goals when those values and goals contradict Him. That, by the way, is one of the huge failures of the Christian liberalism of the past, what is often called Christian progressivism today, or let's be honest, even some conservative evangelicalism today, is that we think we can fit in. That we can blend in. That we can hide the light of His truth under the cover of a culture of compromise and still claim to be Christian. Just go along. Uh, look and act like everybody else does. Don't stand out. Don't take a stand on anything that people don't want you to take a stand on. But here's the problem. Once you adopt the world's values and begin to mimic its message, you really lose any message they need to hear. And so in our efforts to blend in, we lose the distinctiveness of the Gospel, which is their only hope. I mean, think about it. What happens when the church and Christian people so blend in with the world around us that there is no discernible difference between someone who acknowledges Christ and someone who does not? When our values appear to be no different from theirs, when our view of marriage is no different from theirs, when our view of sexuality is no different from theirs, because it's not anchored to anything solid and unchanging like God's Word, but just prone to shift and change with the views and fads of the culture, when God's Word is no longer our guide, our anchor, our source of unchanging truth that holds us fast, 
And we begin to live the same t- for the same temporary passing pleasures and pursuits they do. When that begins to happen, we remove any reason whatsoever they should care about the message we proclaim or take Christ seriously. Right? In fact, think about it. It is the very existence of this separation from the world and its sin, as painful as that can feel sometimes, it is that which gives the world a reason it should stop and listen to the message, even if they hate what they hear at first. If His presence doesn't change who you are and reorient your life to Him and set you apart in a different direction from where the lost world around you is running, why should they even care what it is you have to say? In fact, you have nothing to say to them. And let's be honest, you may not even be one who belongs to Christ yourself. I mean, a little side note, we could take Jesus saying, broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Many are going that way. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this really well. He said, when the church is just like the world, nobody notices. But when the church is absolutely different from the world, she inevitably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though they may hate it at first. And so it should not be our ambition to be as much like everybody else as we possibly can, though we just happen to be Christian. Our ambition should be as much like Christ as we possibly can. The more like Him, the better. And the more like Him we become, the more we will be unlike everyone else. And so Christ's Word separates us from this world and its rebellion. And that is an unavoidable reality. And, oh by the way, a really good thing. Because the more like Christ you become, the more out of step you will be with the world. And that is the very thing they need to see. Now, I don't mean by that, please hear me, that you need to go around just trying to be weird. Sometimes Christians do that. You're just making a general nuisance of yourself by trying to be as odd as you possibly can. You know, don't just stand out for the sake of standing out. You know, I'm going to dress like a 15th century Puritan with the buckles and the belt and the hat and the whole thing to show how holy I am. Or I'm going to wear a Victorian dress everywhere I go. I mean, the ladies, not me. Um, But instead, make it your goal to be more and more like Christ. To love what Christ loves. To care about what He cares about and says matters in His Word. Be conformed to Him and that is what will set you apart. And here's the thing, Christian. You've got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay with standing out for Christ's sake. Because that's part of what it means to be a Christian. It is a life of allegiance to Jesus... And if your primary allegiance is to Christ, then it cannot be to a world that is running away from Christ. And for that matter, why would you want it to be? I mean, seriously. It's not that Christ is calling you away from something good, the world and all it's doing, to something bad, Him. He is calling you away from what is dying, this world and its sin, to have something far better, life forever in Him. That's why 1 John 2, verse 15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
And by there, he means the world in its sin, the world in its rebellion. Don't, don't love this world in its rebellion. Anybody who loves this rebellious world, well, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not even a believer. For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, that is, our lusts satisfying me, the desires of the eye getting everything I possibly can for me, the pride of life, I'm the one that matters and I get to choose what I do. That's not from the Father, but from this broken world. This world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so Christ is calling you as a Christian, one who believes in Christ, to a life that is better and richer and deeper than anything this world can possibly offer. But listen, He's calling you to that. Let me tell you what He's not calling you to. He's not calling you to abandon this world to its sin. He's not calling you to wash your hands of it, turn your back on it and say, well, let the world go to hell. I don't care. I'm going to go over here by myself and just live for Jesus. No, no, look what He says. Verse 15, immediately after that, He says, Father, I don't ask that You take them out of the world, but that You keep them from the evil one. Down in verse 18, he goes further. He says, As you have sent me into this world, a light in a dark place, so I have sent them into that same world. So here's the second thing this morning. Notice Jesus is not praying for us to be removed from this world and its problems, but to remain in it as those who bear witness to Him, as those who carry His light. Do you see that? Read it again, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now Jesus knows that He's about to leave His disciples and us with them in a hot zone of opposition with the world and its sin. They're going to be hated, He's told them. They're going to be despised and rejected and marginalized and persecuted just like Christ was. And so they're sitting there listening and they're probably hoping that the next words out of His mouth would say, okay, Father, get them out of here. Father, airlift them. Take them out of this world so they don't have to put up with this stuff I've had to put up with. Is that what He prays? Not at all. He says, Father, keep them in it. Verse 11. Send them in it just like You sent Me to it. Verse 18. I'm not asking You to get them out of this mess. Not yet. I'm asking you to keep them from the power of the enemy who wants to destroy them while they're here. And so think about that. Jesus doesn't pray that the Father will keep us from having to face the hostility and trouble that are in this world, but to protect and strengthen us as we face the hostility and trouble brought on by the evil one. Let me tell you, I really do think it's an important thing for us to hear at this particular point in history. There are and perennially have been two big temptations that face the church during times of pressure like this. First one we've already talked about, it is the temptation to compromise. Uh, To just cave into the world and blend in. To keep your head down. Don't stick out. And as a result of making sure we don't stick out and nobody notices that that we're any different, we cease to be Christian in anything but name only. And we become worthless salt and lightless light and we just die spiritually. I mean, how many, how many 
denominations out there that have taken that track, historically called uh, Protestant liberalism, are simply drying up and dying and ceasing to exist. Why? Because again, the world looks at them and says, oh, you're just like me, but you got that Jesus thing going on. I can do that without Him. That's one temptation. I don't think that's our temptation here as much. The other temptation is more ours. The temptation simply to withdraw from the Lord. From the Lord. No, no, no. Don't do that. To withdraw from the world out of a sense of self-protection. To say, it's a lost cause out there. They don't want to hear about Him. Fine. We won't tell them. We'll just isolate ourselves over here in our little corner of the world and we'll eat our Christian cookies and wear our Christian underwear and, and wait for Jesus to come. Right? Be, become like monks in a monastery, Amish, on a little plot of ground. By the way, you ever feel like just doing that anyway? Just get out, just escape this mess? Find some deserted island somewhere, some little piece of property in Montana, just move there. Man, I have. <laughs> I told somebody I think I could make a pretty good monk if they'd let me take my wife and kids. <laughs> my grandkids. Maybe the dog. There really are times that sounds appealing. But here's the thing. That is not our calling either. Amen. We cannot conform to this world. The Gospel makes that clear and makes us different. But neither can we crawl away from this world. Neither can we withdraw from this world because our Savior has sent us into it to represent Him. The way we traditionally say that is we must be in the world, but not of it. That's why we're still here, isn't it? Jesus' final command to us as a church, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. If you're going to make disciples of nations, you've got to be among the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I command you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ is with us. Christ will uphold us. Christ will protect us. Not in our little enclave of isolation from the people of this world who need to hear the Gospel, but in our lives of separation unto Him, living for Him here and now with boldness as His church. And so we can neither withdraw from this world, nor can we blend in with this world. Instead, we, we stand fast in the Word that transforms us and makes us more and more like Jesus. We, we stand up and we take the heat knowing that He will protect us. And then He'll use us as we remain faithful to bring others to Himself. Right Again, this picture of light. Think about this idea of light. The light of His Word. The light of His truth. For light to be seen, where must it be placed? Well, you've got to place it in the midst of darkness if you want it to be seen. You don't light a candle and put it in a sunlit room. You put it in a dark room where it's needed. You do remember Jesus used exactly that imagery, right? <laughs> Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. I've lit you with my light. A city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Don't even try. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it up on the stand and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that is, before this world and its lostness, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light must be in the dark to be seen, but it must be different from the dark to have an effect. And then just before he used that imagery, do you remember he used the image of salt to say exactly the same thing? Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, literally if it's the salt has lost its saltiness, now our salt can't do that, but theirs could because it was a mixture of salt and frankly dirt. Right? If the salt washes out and all you got left is the dirt, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. For salt to have its effect, it has to come out of the shaker and be sprinkled on the meat, but it has to be different from the meat. For light to be seen, it has to be put in a place where it confronts the darkness, and it has to be different from the darkness in its power. And that is exactly what Jesus has called us to be, and that's exactly where He's placed us as His church. He's given us the light of His truth. He's filled us with the salt of His grace and said, go. Don't hide in a corner. Don't head for the hills. Don't compromise and don't withdraw. Stand where I've set you and trust Me. Live where I've placed you as a testimony to My grace and truth. And I will use you. And He will, right? Oh, He certainly used these guys. Peter, James, John, the rest. Don't you know they were scared? This little band of eleven standing there listening to Jesus pray and He just told them, hey, guys, they're coming for you. And they got to be thinking, what can we do? We're nobody. We're nothing. And Jesus says, oh, you can trust Me and you can stand firm and you can believe the promise of My Word and you can trust in My power as it works its way through you. And they did. And aren't you glad they did? Because now all these promises He gave them belong to us. Amen. And nobody says, verse 20, we've gone there every week. I did not ask for these only, these eleven men, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. That is, through you and me, His church today. God worked in them to keep them through His Word despite the darkness, and He'll do the same keeping us as we walk with Him as lights in this darkness. And so Jesus says, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. From the evil one. Keep them. Keep them. Don't remove them. Keep them. Protect them. Hold them fast. So you'll notice Jesus never promised to keep you from the pain of being hated and rejected. In fact, elsewhere He tells you to expect that. But He has promised to keep you from the power of the evil one to destroy you. James 4, 7, submit yourself. By the way, James was standing... No, this is wrong James. James was standing... This is the half-brother of Jesus who imbibed what Jesus said. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil, the evil one, Satan, 
You know, the one behind all this opposition. And this is really important. Last thing we'll look at. This is really important for us to remember. Our battle ultimately as Christ people is not against flesh, other flesh and blood people out there. They are not the enemy. They're the mission field. Our battle ultimately is not against the LGBTQ lobby. Our enemy ultimately is not the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, whichever side you have the most trouble with, maybe both at the same time sometimes, or whoever. Our enemy is the evil one who has taken them captive to do his will. 1 Timothy 2.26 says. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world presently lies under the power of the evil one. That's the one we're sent out to confront. That's why we're still here. That's the one we have to overcome as light in the darkness. How do we do it? Last verse, Revelation 12:11, looking at the victory Christ ultimately is giving. It says, "And they, speaking of believers, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony." For they loved not their lives unto death. By the blood of the Lamb, that is the gospel faith that Christ died for my sins. The word of our testimony, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and we're going to follow Him to death. And they loved not their lives unto death. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him. Church, that's the life we're called to. To trust in Christ's death in my place. To believe the promise of gracious salvation by faith. And to live in a way that honors Him in obedience to His Word. Yeah, you'll still have trouble. Yes, you will be hated by those who hate Him and His Word. But here's the thing. You will have Him. And if you have Him, you've got everything that matters. Lord Jesus, we are, we are small and weak in ourselves. We are fallible. We face troubles every day that could overwhelm us if left on our own. We, Lord, were at one time ourselves part of this world. Being hated and hating others, hating You, resisting and rejecting You. Even if we were pretty nice on the outside, there was rottenness on the inside that we tried to hide. But You have come with Your light and You've lit the darkness. You've given us new life and You've begun the process of making us more and more like Jesus. Lord, how we pray that You would teach us what holiness really means. Separated from sin to be dedicated to God. Not a work we perform, but a reality that You implant and work through every aspect of our lives. Help us to be a people, Lord, who don't run from this broken world but run to You in this broken world. Proclaim Christ, live for Christ, rest in Christ, and watch what Christ does through even a small number fully devoted to Him. Lord, I heard it said one time that the world is yet to see what God can do with a man or woman fully devoted to Him. We have seen it in Your Scriptures. We want to see it now. And so it is in Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. To be continued.